as well as from the, the lips of God's people. Well, since you just stood, I won't have you stand again, but I want to read from God's Word uh, the account of Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry of Jesus. And I'm reading from Matthew chapter 21, and we won't be reading the entire section. But every time we turn to God's Word, we need to recognize this, this is... This is directly from the heart and mouth of God as we hear what he has done and what he is doing. And uh, as we think about this, this um, opportunity to celebrate this day, let's read about it from the primary source. Uh, picking up at verse 4, Jesus has sent his disciples out to, to get the, the donkey and the colt in which he would ride upon. And then we get its biblical context as well as the events of the day. Uh, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold your king coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the, the foal of a beast of burden. And we know that when Jesus comes again, he's going to come on a, in a conquering, as a conquering king and lord of lords, but he came as the gentle uh, savior for God's people and promised from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Uh, but then it goes on, it says, The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. The crowds going ahead of him, and, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And, and so we see the scene of the praise of people for the one who was prophesied to come, and they saw him as the one who was to come. And yet, yet we know that in the praises of God's people, the praises of the people on the street, some understood what they were praising about, and some were caught up just simply in the frenzy of the day. And as we approach this day, Palm Sunday, we, we want to be the people who know what had happened and what is going to happen as God has told us in His Word. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we pray in the moments and the time we have that You might open up uh, Your words to us so that we might know how You want us to live. And Father, we ask that we might be people who understand You from the heart and live for You from the heart uh, so that people might know You and, and see You in all that You are. Guide us in our time this morning, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, if you're a basketball fan and uh, you know the particular month that we're in, and what month is it right now? It's the month of March. And if you're a basketball fan, uh, fan they, they describe this month as March Madness. And, and it's a time when you think of madness, and for those of you who aren't basketball fans, you're thinking these people truly are mad. You know, why are they so excited about a little ball that bounces and they try to put it in this little hoop, okay? And you think that's just mad to be able to spend that much time trying to figure out who's going to win if you have your brackets and all that kind of stuff. But the word madness, uh, those who have coined that phrase, isn't so much about people who are mad, crazy, who are basketball fans. But it describes people who are so excited beyond imagination, it just seems like it's madness. I mean, they're just, they're so into it. And if people can be really into a particular sport, and I'm a recovering sportsaholic, is that, is that if we can get 
excited about a little ball they throw 60 feet or a, 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 a pigskin that you throw so someone scores a touchdown or a basket that's supposed to be put in a hoop or a little ball, a little white ball that's supposed to go in a little cup. How much more should we be excited about who God is and what he's doing? And so I want to rename March Madness, not for basketball, but for Easter, for Resurrection Sunday, that we get so excited about what we are about to celebrate. And whether it's Good Friday or whether it's the preparation Good Friday, but as we break bread or as we think about the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday, there is no greater truth than the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so as we are in the midst of a, a series in the book of Revelation, as we look about who is coming as well as what is coming, it is kind of um, providential that we arrive in our series on Palm Sunday, which relates not only to his first coming, but also to his second coming. And, and so this morning, what, what I want us to do is I want us, in the midst of some complexity, what I'll share with you at the end of the message, is I want to keep it really simple what we ought to be all about this week. And if you look at the title this morning, if you have uh, your sermon notes, you might um, pick up that this, this has a very simple theme. Uh, the message is entitled, Praise, Pray, and Prepare. And, and so if you were just to try to guess what I want us all to do, me included, I want us to praise, pray, and prepare. Good, good job, class. All right, that's, that's my message this morning. So if you want to kind of you know, doze off and sleep a little bit like you've already got the message. It's all about praise, pray, and prepare. And we're going to put it in the context of uh, this day and the Word of God, but that's really what I want to communicate to us this morning. And, in fact, I've said this. What this message is about is practical points for God's people on Palm Sunday. And so if you're trying to figure out anything very simple this morning, this message is given to you by the letter, letter P, right? Praise, pray, prepare, practical points for God's people on Palm Sunday. And, and so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning as we simply see what God has for us. And we've read this section on Palm Sunday and is. As we think about that, obviously, they had applied the first P. They were praising. And how were they praising? They were saying, Hosanna on the highest, you know, as the, as the, as the king comes into our midst. Now, Hosanna is, is kind of an interesting word of praise because it's actually a kind of a prayer request. Because it's save us. And, and there's a sense of urgency there or madness there or enthusiasm there it's it's save us and save us now now that's kind of humbling because if you're asking god or anybody for that matter to save you that means you need to be you are such a sharp group out there you really get it you know if you're out there drowning in the ocean or in a pool and you know you're waiting for someone to come get you you are humbly saying i can't stay afloat on my own right and what these people were doing in this celebration of the one who was coming, which was Jesus into uh, the city of Jerusalem, they, they, were, they could have picked up, you know, they could have said hallelujah, praise the Lord. But they, they kind of made it a prayer. Save us and save us now. Now, the, again, as I already mentioned, the heartbreaking part of that is they were saying it, but they weren't really meaning it. But they did get it right. This is Palm Sunday, a day of praise. And this whole week, Passion Week, which... Begins with the letter P. Oh, you were so good. Okay, it's it's Passion Week. It is a day in which, or a week in which, we ought to spend time praising God in the midst of understanding all that's going on. And, and really, that's all part of understanding who came the first time and has promised to come the second time. 
So my first point, beginning with the letter P, is praise God from the heart for the first coming of Jesus, which is Palm Sunday, and then also the promise, which also begins with the letter Oh, you can do better than that. It begins with the letter P. All right, you got that. And the promise of His second coming. And I, I want you to understand, this has always been the theme of God's Word. About that God, God's going to take this mess that we live in, this world, and He's going he's to make it right. And there's some promises. Now there's some complexity of the promises. We're trying to figure, well, how are you going to do that? And we're more concerned about when are you going to do that? And when, not only in terms of just the, the timeline, in terms of specific activities, but we want to know, is it going to be tomorrow, you know, today, or a month from now, or a year from now, a decade from now, hundreds of years from now? And we don't really know when he's going to do it. I believe he can do it any moment, but it might be many moments from now. But what is true is that he has come, and he promises to come, and that's always been the case. Um, taking that as a theme, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 which, actually, I wish I'd put more in the text there. If you look at the first part of, of uh, Isaiah chapter uh, 9, it's a promise that, that when, when God comes and makes things right, that there's going to be gladness in people's hearts. Now, it's easier to praise when there's what in your heart? Joy in your heart, gladness in your heart, happiness in your heart, how, whatever word you want to use. And it says that when Jesus comes, there's going to be gladness put in God's, heart, uh, God's people's hearts. But the confusion is, well, again, when is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? And, you know, when it doesn't happen exactly like I want it to happen or when I want it to happen, can I praise God? And the answer to that is yes, but it's not always as easy as we just would naturally be involved doing it. And so we have a promise recorded for us. For a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us. And we usually use that verse in one time of the year during Christmas time. But really... What this passage is, it, it does two things. It talks about his first coming, and if you're looking at me, also his second coming. Because look what he says. And the government will rest on his shoulders. Now, when Jesus came the first time, did that happen? No. The government didn't rest on his shoulders. In fact, that's what they were hoping during Palm Sunday. All right, he's going to come in. He's going to take Rome out of our, you know, our nation, and we won't be under its oppression and they're looking for the, the government to rest on his shoulders. But it didn't happen. Because what God wanted to do to, to change all that's wrong in this world, he had, didn't want to focus on what's on the outside, but he wanted to focus on the what? The inside. And, and so he describes who he is, and we heard that sung beautifully this morning. And his name will be called, normally think Jesus, but his name will be called Wonderful. His name will be called Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. But was that how Jesus was mostly known when he came the first time? No, I mean, when he made claims to be God, uh, the rank and file picked up rocks, stones, and what did they want to do? They wanted to kill him. And, and, and so as we see, this is a picture not only of his first coming, but really looking forward to the second coming, because then people will really get it. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Are we living in a land and a world filled with peace at this moment? No. Or the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. We don't live in a land where righteousness reigns. Now, 
as we then look at Palm Sunday and see in all its significance, we, we praise God for his coming because it, it accomplished the most important thing to accomplish. The, the opportunity to have what's on the inside changed. Uh, I was sharing in the first service, uh, there's a, a theologian that was asked a question. He said, well, what's, really, what's wrong with this world? And so they, they were coming to ask him to make a social commentary on what's going on. And, and if, if he was asked that question today, you know, some of us might be thinking what's wrong today is ISIS. You know, we've got people who are, who are religious fanatics and, they, and, they're, and they're killing people because of what they believe. Or, or a person might say, well, it's because we can't find anyone who is a political leader that can lead well and righteously and, and not have his own agenda and, and be working, looking and you know, in our own country, both parties do that. Well, we're in power now. How can we keep in power? You know, what, 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 will, be, what, will, what will we do to influence people so they'll vote for us the next time? Or, or they could talk, well, the problem is, is education. We're not educating our, our, our young people right. Or, or whatever it might be. And, and we, could, we could point to it's poverty, it's racism. Whatever They would say, that's what's wrong with the world. If we just solve that or solve those lists in its entirety, this world would be great. Well, a number of years ago, his, his answer to the question, what's wrong in this world? And, and, and he answered with a, a one-word response. He said, what's wrong in this world is, is me. And, and when you think about that for any length of time, you realize that really is the answer. The, 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 what's wrong in this world is that we are, apart from God living within us, we are a self-centered, selfish people that want what we want. And if, you know, that famous phrase, if, if power, little power corrupts in a little way, ultimate power corrupts in a big way. And, and, and depending upon where we are at, we, it might not manifest itself out in overt ways, but until God solves a problem in each individual's life, then our world will be filled with unrighteousness and not the righteousness that he has promised. But the good news, and that's why we ought to be filled with praise, is Jesus came to deal with the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And the promise in the future, he'll deal with the presence of sin, which is all that we see around us. So this week, very simple point, we ought to be filled with praise because Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal power, the Prince of Peace has come, and he's also coming again. He's promised that. And that's throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Secondly, we ought to be a people who pray. And again, I'm, I'm sharing nothing new to you. I mean, uh, we ought to be people, as I shared with you last week, we ought to be people who are known as we're on a first-name basis with God. I heard that, read that, I thought, that's such a great way to describe how Christians ought to be. Oh, yeah, we're on a first-name basis with God. And if you haven't thought that through, what it means is, no, they don't just know about God, they know Him. I mean, they talk to Him like He's alive. They talk to him like he is their best friend. They talk to him like that he is the one who, who, who is his, their counselor. He is the one that, that they, rec- they go to in times of need or times of joy. And, and they know him on a first-name basis. Uh, what I didn't add to you in that quote I read this past week about Christians in Russia, I mean, people in Russia who hadn't been around Christians, and when some Christians came, they made that observation of Christians. Well, well how would you describe them? Well, they were people on a first-name basis with God, and also they were filled with joy. Now, do, do we always act like that? Of course not. But that's, that's, the, that's the opportunity that we have to be people on a first-name basis with God and are filled with joy. And if we're on a first-name basis with God, we'll want to talk with Him. And so we ought to be people, as we think about Passion Week, we have to be filled with praise, 
for his first coming, and that's what they did there. Hosanna, save us now. And then we ought to be people who pray, talk with him. Pray to God from the heart for him to hear, forgive, listen, and act for his glory. And I said, well, where did I get that outline? Well, right out of Daniel, who prayed this prayer as he was looking forward to Christ coming the first time and the second time. So listen to one of his prayers, Daniel 9, 18 and 19. He says, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, the Bible tells us that we are called to enter into his throne of grace with boldness. In other words, we don't have to be fearful. Does God want to talk to me? Have you ever had that thought in your mind with some people that you want to talk to, and you want to talk to them, but you're not sure they what? Want to talk or listen, or they even want to talk to you, okay? Either way. Well, God wants us to talk to him, and he wants to talk to us, out, particularly out of his word. But do they want to listen? Well, God, and so he says, incline your ear and hear. And that ought, we always ought to come to God in humility, though he invites us to come into his presence. Open your eyes, Daniel, praying to God, and see our desolations and the city which is by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. And so as he comes to God, he comes to God in great honesty and says, God, I know we really don't deserve to talk with you because we don't measure up, but we can come into your presence because of your great love, your great compassion for us. And so he, he, he just recognizes that. And he also wants to pray about things that should be on the heart of God because he says, you know, it's your city, Jerusalem. It's your holy temple that has become the desolation. And, and I'm coming on behalf of, of your name be lifted up rather than brought down. And, and then, he, then he prays his prayer in verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. And then he even gives a reason that, not for our sake, but for your own sake, oh my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. And so even as we look at this week about praying, you know, what, what can we pray about? And obviously we have some things in your bulletins this week to, about specific things you can pray during Passion Week. But, you know, asking God to, to listen to his people. And, and really, I think, implied in that prayer request is, is that sometimes when we feel God isn't listening, we need to be reminded that he is. So as you go to prayer this week and you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the wall, it, it's, it's, it, sometimes as you look through Scripture, the prophets will do this. Oh, God, hear. And really, God has promised to hear, but we need to be reassured that he is listening. And sometimes the, sometimes the, the best advice any kind of a counselor gives is just simply listening to the person's needs. And God always listens. And then he says, oh, oh, Lord, forgive. Now, at the cross, all our sins are forgiven. But we need to be reminded of that God forgives us and also to be reminded that God can forgive those that we're caring about and loving and hoping that we'll come, on the outside will come in to, to God's family. Forgive those who, who are rebellious toward you right now who, or are indifferent toward you. And even on the cross, didn't Jesus say that? Even as he was being crucified. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And, and most people who are far from God, they don't really realize who they've turned their face against and away from. And, and so we want to bring them close to them. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, listen and take action. And, and so we're trying to move the hand of God and the arms of God to, 
to, to touch people's lives. And we want to do it not for our sake, but for his sake. So this week, very simple. God wants us to be people of praise. He wants us to be people who pray. And Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 is a great prayer that, that talks about God moving and, and causing us to understand his love. And then if we understand his love, then we will be loving. And then if we understand that we are to be loving, then we want to we see God do exceedingly abundant beyond all that we could ask or think. That, that, that God's glory would be spread. So we want to be people who praise and we want to be people who pray. Thirdly, we want to be people who prepare. And here, prepare us in two ways. One, we obviously want to be prepared. But secondly, we want to help prepare others. And what, what do we want to be prepared them for? Prepare for what God is going to do next and help others be prepared. Now, in, in many ways, that's why we're going through the book of Revelation, other than people just kept twisting my arm saying, when are you going to go through the book of Revelation? So I, so I said, Lynn, okay, I'll go ahead and do the book of Revelation. I'll just get it out there here. Okay. Is that we, we wanted to look at that. And we need to be prepared. We need to know what, who is coming and what is coming. And then even if we disagree on some of the details, uh, the thing is, Jesus is coming. And we need to be prepared for that and prepare others for it. And, and, and let me just put it in this larger context. Um, need, people, it, we all, if we're really going to live, okay, we, we need to be prepared for what comes next, don't we? Someone has well said in a very simple statement, you're, you're not really prepared to live until you're prepared to die. Now, that's pretty somber, and you know, I'm talking about praise and prayer, but isn't that true? You're not really prepared to live until you're prepared to die. And, and so as we think about what's next, it, people are either going to face death without being prepared to meet their maker, or Jesus is going to come again, and they're not prepared for Jesus coming again. And so we need to be prepare, preparing people for what might happen in any moment this life ends. Or as I understand Scripture, that Jesus could come at any moment, and are they prepared for that? When those people went on that plane to go to the French Alps this past week, and, and really, you know, as far as everything I've read, you know, the, the safest way is to travel is on, on a plane. There, there's so much less, you know, uh, things that happen when people are flying than when you're driving and all, every other way to do it. And, and yet, when they went on that plane, none were even thinking about this was our last day. Now, the ones that were prepared to die were still living and are still living. And so we want to prepare people. We want to give them the message, but also for Jesus coming again. Now, I want to look at a section here that I want to comment just briefly on. But it's, it's God's promises to Daniel, who was praying that prayer that we read earlier, about what's going to happen next. And it also relates to even Palm Sunday. There was an angel that came to, to Daniel in Daniel 9, and he said, uh, God has decided to let you know on what's, what's going to happen next. And he's going to give you somewhat of a timetable. Uh, not that we'll point out the very end, the specific time, but to give you a panorama of history. And so he said, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. He was speaking to, God, to Daniel's people, which was Israel, and the holy city, which is Jerusalem. 
And, and that's how God's program has continued to run through what he's doing to his covenant people that he had promised to be faithful to uh, for the purpose of blessing everyone. And that's how, how the church got birthed. Uh, and, and he said, this is, this is what's going to happen in the end in, in terms of God's program. And he gives them six things. There's going to come a time when, and, and it's going to be within these 70 weeks, and these 70 weeks, I believe, speak not of 70, it's actually literally in the Hebrew, 77s. And the 77s, you know, it could be days, it could be months, it could be whatever, but it's probably years, and for a variety of reasons that I don't have time to, to go through. So he says, in, in 70 times 7, and if you times 70 times 7, that ends up to be 490. And, and at a period of time of 490 years, the, the ultimate of God's plan is going to come to pass. And, and what's going to be included in that plan? Well, there's going to be to finish the transgression. What is the transgression? The transgression is man's rebellion against God. It, it, it's, it's, God it, it's, it's people saying, I don't want your way, I want my way. And, and there's going to come a time where no one will do that again. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that not I'm Lord, but Jesus is Lord. There's going to be a finish of the transgression. Also, to make an end of sin. And here he's talking about specific sins. All, all the things that we wonder, how does, why does God allow all these horrific things happening to people? There's going to be an end to that. And then he says, there's going to be an atonement or a covering for iniquity. And that, that is done in two ways. One, obviously, when Jesus went to the cross, he covered the iniquity for those who put their faith in him, and that sin is no longer counted against them. And that's the penalty of sin. But there's going to come a time where there's going to be a covering for the presence of sin, where there will be no, there will be no iniquity in this world. There will be a covering of it. There will be a stoppage of that. And then there's going to come a point where there's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. The world be known as a righteous place. It will be continually righteous. Now, are we living in a righteous world today? Of course not. But he's talking about there's going to come a time when this will happen. And it will be in a 70-week period of time. There will be a sealing up of vision and prophecy. And why would that be? Because you'll be in the presence of one who gives visions and prophecy. When, when, if, God was in, if God was here uh, in, in manifest form, if Jesus was here... You wouldn't look for someone else to tell you anything. You just simply look to who? To Jesus. There's not going to be a need for any type of prophet or uh, you know, a preacher. You'll be in the presence of the preacher, the prophet. There's going to be a time where there'll be the sealing up of that. And to anoint the most holy place, the, presence, the manifest presence of God will be completely holy. No one will defame it. So that's what's going to happen in the future. God's eternal plan will come to complete form. And he's, he's probably reeling, what, 70 times 7 and, you know, 490 years? You know, what, 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 how's this going to come to pass? How, how do I know when that starts? So then he says in verse 25, So you, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, and Messiah the Prince is who? That's the Jesus answer. You can say it aloud on that. Messiah the Prince is who? Jesus. There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Stop there for a moment. Now, if you take 7 and add 62 to it, it ends up equaling 69. Some of you need to work on your math. Okay, 7 plus 62 equals 69. So in 69 weeks, uh, the Messiah, the Prince, will come. All right? And there will be, and it will be 
um, well, backing up, he, he says, You know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince to come, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. All right, stopping there for a moment. Okay, so all we have to do to figure out when this begins is, you know, well, when, did the, when was the decree given to rebuild the city? Well, that going through a lot of uh, stuff, basically uh, that happened, and you, you check out Nehemiah where, where this got issued by King Artaxerxes to Nehemiah. Uh, it happened uh, in 444 B.C. And, and March 5th of that year. Okay, on March 5th of that, that month and that year. And, and that period, and it, and it, he separates seven weeks and 62 weeks. Well, if these are years, seven times seven is 49. And if you look at what happened, is the, the wall was built in 52 days. But the city wasn't restored for another 49 years. So that first part of that prophecy was, was fulfilled and that the city was rebuilt. And, and then you have another 62 years. Well, if you take the 62 years... Uh, I mean, the 62 weeks and, you know, 62 times 9, what you have is 434 years, by 62 times 7. And you take 49 years plus 434 years. You figure out how many days that is based on the Jewish calendar, which is 360 days rather than 365 days. I'm not expecting you to memorize all this stuff, but I'm, I'm kind of giving you the overview here. If you take all that together and you take it from, from when that decree went out and you add up all those days, you, it lands exactly on Palm Sunday. So all this that was uh, predicted, not only in Zechariah as far as how he was going to come into the city, it was also predicted to the day when he was going to come into the city. If you want to read more about that, I put that uh, a resource you could look at, Harold Honer and the chronological aspects of the life of Christ. Now, now, this is run out to freeze. There are other people who look at chronology, and, and my area of expertise is not chronology. But in looking at the different options, to me, this, this makes the most sense in terms of how it puts all together. But however you look at it in terms of the specific details, all this happened, the, the, the 483 years, the first 69 weeks, land when Jesus arrives here. And then you say, well, there's only one week left. Now what's going to happen? There's only one seven-year period of time. And here the prophecy continues on. And then it says, uh, It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in the times of distress. That describes how Jerusalem will be put back uh, as the city. And then in verse 26 it says, Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And what does that say? That's simply saying after the 62 weeks plus the seven weeks before, the 69 weeks, the 483 years, at that time, and, and no matter how you look at the compilation of years and days, it's, it, it puts us right when Jesus was here. He will die. He will die on the cross. And, and then you say, well, what happens next? And so then it goes on and tells us. It says, and after that happens, where the Messiah will be cut off, and the people of the prince who is to come. Now, this is not Jesus. Because he was Messiah the prince. This is referring to a prince who will come. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And, and what this really speaks to us very clearly, it says after the seven and 62 weeks, the 69 weeks, after that happened, two things will happen. Messiah will die. And then um, there'll be a period where God's city will be completely destroyed. Well, we know historically that that did not happen within a week's period of time or seven years after Jesus was here. 
because it didn't happen until 70 AD. And so what we have here is a gap. Well, when's this seven weeks come in? And, and what I'm convinced is this gap here is what we see now. The thing that had not been revealed in the Old Testament, it was a mystery, which was the church, is that we live now in what's called the church age. And what it is is, is God rescuing his, uh, the rest of his people that know him, that, wa- that he wants to put into his family. And so we are getting the message out to both Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jew, to hear about Jesus. And when that time is done, then that last seven weeks will start up again. And, and, and this is what he says in verse 27. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. And who is he talking about? The one who is to come. That one prince who is to come from the people who destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, which was Rome. And so out of what, in the area, what we would call the Roman Empire, will be revived in the whole European area. And there will come out of that who will be known as, from our perspective, the Antichrist, who will rise to leadership. And isn't that, isn't that what the world is looking for? Someone to solve our problems. Solve the Middle East issue. Deal with all the, the nations that are warring against us. And there will this rises leader who will promise to solve everything. And for a while he will. And even saw what's happening in Israel. And it says, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. That's that last week. But in the middle of that week, three and a half years in, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering and all the, uh, and on the wing of the abomination will come one who makes desolate, even to like complete des- uh, destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now, that's a lot of complicated words to simply say this, is that when the Antichrist arises and it looks like he's winning, he's destroying God's covenant people Israel, he's destroying anybody who, who uh, claims the name of Christ. But the one who is destroyed, making desolate, the greater desolation will be upon him. Because when the king of kings comes, the second time, he will destroy all those who are against him. Now, what are we saying here? We need to be praising people. We ought to be filled with praise as we think about this. This is greater than any basketball tournament, March Madness. This is, we get excited about remembering Jesus coming the first time and his promise for a second coming. We ought to be people praying that God would would listen and hear and act and forgive. We ought to be people preparing, preparing people for what's next. And we don't know if it's death or Jesus coming again. But he's promised that he's coming in great detail. In great detail will point to the day when he came on Palm Sunday. And, And then very specifically, what will happen in the future. So that we know that his faithfulness to his promises in the past, his promises kept, will be a, predict, uh, a, a prediction of his promises in the future to be promises kept. And we want people to be prepared that, that God is coming. And are you ready? Now, I'm not, I'm not asking you to explain all this in detail to anybody this week. But we, on the inside, know that he's faithful to his promises. And, and we want people to be prepared for the one who came the first time to deal with our rebellion against him and to give us the promise of life that lasts forever and full of abundance because we know the giver of life. Let's pray together. Father, we pray on this day that we might be a people filled with praise and prayer 
and just a desire to prepare people within our relational world to, to, to look at the one who came to die on the cross and rise again for us. That, that our, the problem on the inside might be fixed. Father, is anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, might they recognize that to really celebrate Easter is to know the Jesus of Easter. Help us this week to be an inviting people as we share the simple gospel on Easter. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I, I, I